Hello, greetings and salutations from wherever you are and whatever time it is you're tuning in. We are more than happy that you're joining us today. Who are we? Who am I? Well, if you're a regular listener, you'll recognize the voices behind the ideas. If this is your first visit, my name is Seth Singleton. I'm your host. This is the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. It's our opportunity to catch you up on all the great things going on in movie, television, streaming, comics, and for the most part, anything else we think fits under that category. Thankfully, you don't just have to listen to my voice. I'm joined by an amazing crew, an amazing cast, and a mad cohort and a cadre. I've got, of course, Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, how you doing today, my friend? I'm hanging in. I'm doing okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then, of course, we always have the wondrous Kelly Gaines. How are you, Kelly? I'm doing very well. Hello. All right. Like I said, folks, you're in good hands. For the most part, you don't have to listen to me drone through everything. And in between, you've got the great opinions of these two fine folks with me. We are, of course, sad to not have our regulars like Mr. Steve J. Ray or Kendra Hale. Guys, we miss you. We love you. And on this episode, we're going to be thinking about you, just like we're thinking about probably everybody we care about. More on that as we get to it. Going to keep it simple, we're going to move right into our first movie news, and that is something that uh, I think probably creates a a mixed set of reactions. I'm curious to see where the ball falls with each one of us, and it's the announcement that Wonder Woman 1984 is jumping to October following a shift in the schedule for Tenet this summer. It's kind of a confusing headline i'll actually read it wonder woman 1984 jumps to october following tenet summer shift there's not a lot of (laughs) clarity in that uh brad what sort of uh understanding did you get looking through this article uh you know i am not surprised that this happened um i i think that you know the studios are still a little leery about when everything is opening and I'm I'm hoping that with the October date that we that Wonder Woman can come out. I, I don't know if Tenet will be able to come out still in July. Because the thing is, what is worrying me as somebody who wants to get back to going to movies in the movie theater is that we might be on the cusp of a second wave uh, between uh, the protests in other states opening up and places like around me, like New York, they're going to open up later as is and if we get a second wave come through then new york might get pushed back and you know this this area you know the east coast is pretty big when it comes to movies so i think that the studios just really want to capitalize on that so they want to get it out when the most people can go and see it in the theaters and are willing to because not only are they worried about lockdowns that might still be in place but they're also worried about people still being scared to go out to public gatherings and they want to fill the theaters but there's probably going to be some kind of social distancing percentage of tickets that they can sell so it's not surprising that it got pushed back a little bit more but uh you know fingers crossed hopefully it'll be able to keep that october date uh kelly yeah i i do hope that they stick with october um you know, that in October, it's a good time for comic book movies in a way. I mean, I, I'm not sure if New York Comic Con is still going to happen, but I know last year Joker coming out that same weekend was so perfectly timed. Um, 
And yeah, with, with states opening up again, it's it's complicated because I I I know personally, like my you know my boyfriend and I just yesterday for the first time in months took a walk like down to the main street of of our town since that's starting to open up now, and half the people were wearing masks, half of them weren't. Like it seemed kind of like a little bit disorganized, chaotic sort of. You know, some people were following the rules, some people weren't. Um, so I could see how that, and I mean, especially in Philadelphia, we've had so many protests and sort of this influx of people in and out of the city, this could be, you know, another big problem. Um, and then even actually last weekend, I was home in New Jersey seeing my parents, went to the beach thinking the beach is going to be empty. A couple of people, it was packed like it was the 4th of July and not a single mask in sight. So, you know, it's, I, I understand why they're taking this kind of precaution. Um and yeah, it, it, hopefully by the time we hit October, we'll all be able to go sit in a movie theater, enjoy a movie without having to worry so much, um, you know, about, about catching COVID. And at the same time, the, those social distancing rules may affect ticket sales significantly. If you think, you know, maybe they can only fill every other seat or every third seat, that's going to change a lot. Um, yeah, so I, it's. We can only hope at this point, but I mean, like Seth loves to say, hope is a good thing. Uh, Seth, how do you feel? <laughs> I, I I do. Hope is a good thing. Hope can spring eternal. Sometimes it's a little hard to notice with everything going on. I want to see this as a positive move. I I want to see the, the forward thinking of it. And I'm also aware that that's what I wanted to see when they originally moved it to August 14th. So now we're coming up looking at August 14th to October 2nd. And you really have to question, as Brad, you know, pointed out and sort of took us on this direction of how much do we actually know about what's going on for that date to be concrete? And we simply don't. Um, I am similar in that I was recently traveling. I had to travel to go back home to help my parents. Um, they're over 70 and uh, needed some work done on their home that, uh, long story short, I went back there <laughs> and they live in Missouri. I flew into, uh, or Missouri, when you go there, they'll correct you. And I flew into Tulsa <laughs> and, uh, oh yeah, they'll correct you. Trust me, they'll be like, you're not from here if you call it Missouri. It's like, all right, all right. <sighs> So I flew into Oklahoma, and, and from there, um, we mostly tried to stay home, but we had to get some supplies. And you go to Walmart, you go to the Lowe's, you go to all these different places, and the employees all had to wear them. But the number of people going in and out of that store as customers, you know, maybe 75% were wearing masks. And that was maybe six weeks ago, and now you're seeing uh, a surge of cases in certain areas. And then, uh, as you guys brought up, I mean, we've seen other examples. Kelly, your beach example, I totally remember seeing like uh, a week or two ago, there was one from near where my parents were, uh, this place called Branson. And it was like some giant pool and, and it was just teeming with people. And I didn't see a mask in sight. Um, and this second wave idea is something we're trying to anticipate because like everything else with the pandemic, there's a lot we don't know, and it's caught a lot of people off guard. I've even heard recently that Houston might have to re-implement a stay-at-home order because of the surging cases they're facing. You you mix into that the uh, recent protests we've had, the 
the mixed um, passion of do you stay home and protect or do you march out and uh, speak out for your civil freedoms and the civil freedoms of others? How can that impact theaters? I mean, this is <laughs> one of these problems would be enough for a, a, you know, a major company to be like, hmm, how do we navigate this? Now you've got two different situations, both acting independently of each other. And if you're a studio head, I mean, start flipping coins, man. I, I don't know how, else, you know, like get a big dartboard with squares and start throwing darts. Like make make something <laughs> up. You know what I mean? Like make something up. Because I think it gets a little crazy. Um, I'm hopeful that maybe there will be some other signs along the way that let us know that this is going to be a great date. Uh, what those are looking like, cons, Kelly, as you mentioned, or other such things, it's going to be a little bit challenging. I, I, <laughs> I'm really amazed with this story because it brings to light that when you look at what they're saying, you go, yeah, that sounds great. And then he, I'm reminded as I started out this whole response, which was, yeah, but that's what I thought when they moved it the first time. And I want to keep having hope. And yet at the same time, I want to have that cautious optimism. I want to be aware of all the things that, when it comes right down to it, are about life, death, safety, and health, which are always going to outweigh when we get to see a great movie just because we want to see it. That was my rant. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, let that be my final say. And as I'm getting ready to shift into our next story, Brad Kelly, opportunity to chime back in with anything else you want to add. No pressure. All you got to do is just interrupt me because <laughs> I'm way too easy going to get mad about it. <laughs> I think I one of the things that caught my attention this past week um, with things opening up is a lot of colleges after Thanksgiving aren't sending are sending the students home, um, which the you know, where I work is doing that as well. But that's another big fear for the resurgence is they think um, it's going to happen right around the holidays, too. So really, if we don't hit October, we might be looking at going all the way into, you know, December, or January. And that is, you know, that's not great. Yeah. And here's what drives me crazy about that is the fact that that just means all these other movies are going to be pushed back further. Because we're not now, we're not even talking about movies from 2020. But if the 2020 movies get pushed back, then all the 2021 will have to be pushed back to a degree as well. So it's just, you know, it's it's a mess, and you know, it's probably not something we're going to know about really completely until the end of the year, like you were saying, because we don't know what's going to happen around the holidays even. It's unfortunate that there's that much uncertainty and it it's amazing how it affects so many facets of our lives when we take it all into consideration. Kelly, you pointed out a great thing there about the holidays. You know, up until recently, they weren't even sure they were going to have California state schools open back up to uh, allow students in the fall. Um, you know, they would be admitted, but they would be doing online um, education. Now there's a chance people might be going back. But with all these other uncertainties, it's like, how do you know the place you're going is the safest place to go? You know, how do you <laughs> how do you trust that? It's 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 like a, a storm in a lot of ways. You know, it's like a series of storms with the hurricanes. And you're like, well, should I go north, south, east or west? And they're like, well, it's coming from the south, but it could shift east or west. Your guess is as good as mine, <laughs> to which somebody's just like, how do I plan my life around that? And right now... Get a store seller. Right. Yeah. Get, 
Well, and and there's going to be plenty of people who have already raised questions about whether or not we should be coming out of this at the time we are, if it's too soon, if we need to wait longer. And that's a a whole other discussion. But what we can see as, you know, fans, as those who love these uh, entities that we knew were looking to bring us great stuff, they're being affected now, too. And how many other facets of our lives it's going to continue to impact, it's it's going to be a challenge. I think it throws everything off. You know what I just realized? I didn't even mention this is episode number 74 in my intro. That's how crazy <laughs> life is getting. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this is the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. This is number episode 74. Like, so if you were waiting to hear anything about that, you had to wait through the first round of question to do it. I think I pulled the same trick when we had Liam Sharp. Then I could probably get away with being nervous. This time I'm just like... <laughs> Why am I so stupid? Why? why? It happens. It happens. Yeah, I'm stupid. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, they all know that I woke up from a nap like 10 minutes before we started and just like is really <laughs> adorable since then. This is my adorable set. I, I want to keep hearing that we're finding ways to work through, but I also want to know that we're doing it safely, that we're thinking about, I mean, it gets silly. I feel like I'm quoting some you know, ancient person by saying, but tell me we're caring about our fellow man. Tell tell me we're caring about our brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, the pe- people that we know are the most important things in the world. Like it, it, it gets into that thing where it's like, you know what? I want to see Wonder Woman too. I, I think it'll be great. I think Brad was really on it when he was saying a while back, this is going to be that movie that can give people hope, bring them back to the theaters, be this gathering point. But I also want it to be something that can be seen safely, where you're not taking your life in your own hands just to go to the movies and enjoy yourself and to experience a wonderful thing like this. So I'm going to be okay with October 2nd. And you know what? If there's a health and safety risk and they got to move it up to like March 13th, not that I want that to happen or God forbid I'm somehow predicting something. But if it happens. Oh, come on, dude. See, that's what I was trying to get away from. I swear, I'm not trying to jinx it. Yo. Oh, boy. (laughs) But I am trying to say that I'll always be happy and confident in the knowledge that if we're making a decision based on the safety and well-being of, you know, the greater good, I can live with that. I can live with all the adjustments we have to make for that. And I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in that camp. So strength in numbers, uh, you know, belief in uh, <laughs> belief in the uh, the betterment of our fellows. Um, so I probably beat that story pretty much down into about as flat of a dough as possible. Not saying we're making pizza, but clearly I am punching or at least pummeling things. With that, happy to shift gears into our First sort of uh, TV streaming news, it might be our only one. As I said, I'm recovering from a nap and still adorable. However, I did have a moment to catch the amazing season two trailer from that oh-so-lovable gang we know as the Doom Patrol. Now, I could gush, which would basically, you know, kind of negate the point of my good friends here, Brad and Kelly. But since I know that they say the best things, I'm going to be a little bit intelligent right now and be, Brad, what did you think of this trailer? <laughs> uh, it's right up my alley. Uh, quirky, weird, humorous, and dark all at the same time. And to me, that's 
everything I look for in, in entertainment in a way. So <laughs> I think Patrol, this, right? <laughs> this checks a lot. Of, yeah, this checks a lot of boxes. And I just love when uh, she tries to use her powers and she can't, you know, stretch out her arms. So she's like, oh, get me a ladder. Those kind of things. I mean, that just it just <laughs> it all kind of worked for me. Um, you know, um, so, yeah, I, I yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good season. Definitely. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I this trailer looks amazing. And every time it reminds like I I think Doom Patrol is one of the shows that I watched on DC Universe. That was the first time I was like, this this app's going to make it <laughs> like this is very, very well done. And it's the same thing with this trailer. It's just it, it's funny. It's Brad, like you were saying, dark and irreverent and. I, I did love that entire scene with Rita trying to hang a disco ball and clearly not quite getting her powers. And I really like this idea of uh, the villain Dorothy is, I mean, that's kind of badass. Like a little girl who yeah. can make reality happen just by thinking about it. That is probably every grade school teacher's nightmare. And I am so into it. Seth, what do you think? I, I love this trailer. I thought so much about it. Did you think they got miniaturized in that first like 30 seconds when you can see different parts of them being in like a tiny town? And oh. later when Elastigirl tries to throw her arm at like those plastic figures on the bench. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. This because one of I'm going to digress. One of my favorite childhood moments is the Tom and Jerry where Jerry ends up in like a shopping center and he's surrounded by all these like uh, figures figurines and he thinks they're real people and he's like skating across like glass thinking it's i does anybody else recalling this tom and jerry moment no i think i have seen that i was actually thinking yeah. that episode of pokemon where they get turned into dolls in a dollhouse that was terrifying but yours your memory is much nicer oh, oh no oh, this is absolutely yeah this is adorable it's like one of those <laughs> things like i used to imagine like what if you could be like you know uh super small like six inches tall or four inches tall or something like that and you could ride the little cars and do all that little stuff and you get to <laughs> vicariously have it through through yeah i love like Stuart little or who is the other little mouse who had the car where he or the motorcycle and he would say vroom and the motorcycle would drive and he had the car he could do the same thing no one else is with me on this it's okay i'm all alone <laughs> i love those <laughs> thanks yo uh so i love those ideas and that was like the tom and jerry thing so when i saw them with those figures who were on that bench i was like those aren't real but they're the same size they got shrunk or they got put into like a miniature land or some sort of fake that hooked me because i was like ah that's one of my favorite storylines i love it when stuff like that happens um also i was i was blown away by the daughter who you you remember season one he had that very uh, powerful relationship with an immortal woman who they have a child together. They've they've got this history. There was a lot of there was a lot about Niles we learned in that moment. And it was really powerful. So now we've got this girl who can enact powers in amazing ways. Uh, Robot man punching Admiral Whiskers down the hall. <laughs> Thump. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, and, and so many other great moments where you realize what a family these guys are all becoming. And it's it's crazy, but I also love how, you know, here's you here you've got the chief, like, trying to explain that the reason I did all these terrible things is so I could extend my own life, so I could live as long as my daughter. 
so I could, you know, be able to keep up with her. And it, it's a noble idea, and yet he did such horrible things. And it's amazing that that's probably going to be one of the things that helps bind this team together. You know, we all got screwed over by the same guy. <laughs> and we all have that in common. Not only that, but he made us all so miserable. The only people we can be around is kind of each other. Um, it, it should make for, I think, a really great season. I, I thought everything about this trailer was just so much fun. Uh, any final thoughts about it? Because there was a lot covered, even a glimpse of the Beard Hunter. Do you, did anybody recognize him? Slightly frosty or at oh, least yeah. extremely pale. I yeah. was like, Beard Hunter's back. Okay. <laughs> um, th- those little moments just felt like wonderful reminders of the brilliance and beauty we had of the season that proceeded and the expectations we can have of the upcoming. Jane clearly has many of her personalities at um well, either her disposal or appearance, because sometimes they show up when you want. Sometimes they show up because they want. I thought it was a great trailer, and uh, it, it was just a really fun sort of reminder of all the things we have to look forward to. Doom Patrol, HBO Max, DC Universe. Is it on? Quick question. Did anybody notice whether or not it said that it was on DC Universe and HBO Max or I both or either or other? Yeah, I just saw the HBO Max as well. Interesting, yeah. yep. Going to have to check on that, because I saw the debut date was June 25th, and then I was like, wait a minute, but that says HBO Max. Are they not doing... Nope, actually, I just double-checked. It hits both DC Universe and HBO Max on June 25th. However... <laughs> nice. That, I gotta love. Um, and the best part is, you get this... Uh, great experience to choose whether or not you want to get your dc universe rewards or if you want to go right into uh you know hbo max screw the rewards just let me watch the show uh with that we shift gears to our next story we've got an announcement coming through that the dc daily was canceled on dc universe streaming service um I was intrigued by the fact that this had been around since 2018, and I was curious overall, like, how much of this was something you guys have watched? How, uh, you know, engaged were you with, uh, you know, DC Daily? And what's your response to the announcement that it has since been canceled? Uh, confession time. Uh, I Uh-oh. did not. I did not watch it that much, but it was one of those things that I'm glad existed. Uh, one thing that jumped out to me in the story was the fact that they said that they couldn't overcome the limitations of the COVID-19 virus and what that did to the production of the show. And that probably does make sense because putting a, a show together every day is pretty tricky. I mean, just, you know, look at the daily talk shows and stuff now that are going on. They're kind of suffering, you know, in, in, in ways. So it's not surprising. But because of that, I would not be surprised that when all this straightens out, if it's – this is me being hopeful – that they can somehow resurrect it in some way. Because I think that you know the guess they had was it, – it definitely served a, a cool little purpose, uh, especially now in a world where cons are going digital. I think that there would even be more of a place for it once things do come back around. So hopefully in some form we'll see it again. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? So I actually, for a while, was watching this show pretty regularly. Um, 
And honestly, especially when the COVID lockdown happened, because I was waking up way too early in the morning and no longer had to go to work. So it was kind of, you know, something I would just play on my TV while I was getting ready for the day. Um, and I, I am sad to see it go because the hosts, I mean, much like, you know, kind of the the vibe we have going on this show, it just all seemed to be really good friends that just really liked talking about comics. Um, and they had some really cool events. They would have watch alongs. They would have, uh, you know, different creator interviews, that kind of thing. And I think if I had to guess what they mean with the production quality changing, um, once the COVID lockdown happened, it was sort of one or two hosts at a time um, filming in their own homes. And they would kind of, I, I don't know if it was a conference call or what, but it definitely did change the overall quality of the show because we're, you know, it looks more like we're watching a Zoom call than, you know, you're watching a, a show where they they had this nice studio and everything. Um, yeah, I feel really bad for them. That's, it's, it must be unfortunate because it seemed like such a fun job. I, I watched it more than once and was like, wow, this is, if I could pick a job, this would be it. Um, yeah, so it's it's really unfortunate. And I, I hope, Brad, like you were saying, I hope they do get to make a comeback because they did seem just like a really fun, really great group. Seth, what did you think? I was really disappointed to hear this story as well. I had caught a few episodes i enjoyed some highlights that i'd seen before and thought overall this is something i'm really going to look forward to sort of digging into when i can build time in my schedule to make it something that i regularly check into but when i did check in i, I agree they seem to have a, a really great comfortable vibe one in which they acknowledged that they were all fans uh where their expertise or um, desires sort of uh, existed and how they could do those to, to help with the conversation. But then I do also see how format has so drastically changed what it's like to even watch like the Colbert show or something like you're like, wait, but he's in his house and he looks weird. And where's the band? What's happening? You know what I mean? There's that <laughs> confusing feeling when you're seeing a lot of shows you used to seeing that are doing their best to soldier on. I recently saw a clip of, uh, Oh, goodness. The guy who took over Daily Show, whose name is totally Noel. Uh, Trevor Noah. Uh, Trevor Noah. Thank you. There it is. And I saw him and I was like, oh, wow, he hasn't got a haircut in a while. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Like there are these little things where it was just sort of like, yeah. See right. now. Yeah. Sorry to sorry to jump in. But no, um, yeah, because he was he, he was my point of reference, really, when I was saying how, you know, what's going on with the talk shows right now, um, because I've been watching that every day and. It takes a lot. I still don't think, as much as I hate laugh tracks, I still don't think I'm used to watching The Daily Show without a laugh track. He just spits out the jokes, and it's just it's it's very odd still to this day. So, you know, that, that it doesn't surprise me that that trying to do a Daily Show on that level is hard. So, yeah, I mean, it, but Trevor, no, that's funny that you brought that up because that's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> It's a little strange. Um, I'll never forget way back when there was a, a stand-up comic who had started doing uh, like his own radio show or something like that. And they were like, you know, it's kind of like how he used to be, except it's just him shouting at you over a microphone and there's no laughter. So if you don't think it's funny, it's just awkward silence. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's got to be weird. And now we're experiencing it with the video where 
you're not hearing the feedback. You're just there in your own room like, ah, am I the only one laughing? Where is everybody else? There's no laugh track. What's happened? This all feels so strange and different. Um, and I can imagine how there's things we probably can't see. And they were also, you know, contributing factors to the DC Daily programming. So I, I'm really disappointed to hear that they don't have a chance to keep going because Brad, you pointed out in our next story, you know, the, the times they are changing. And with that change, we are seeing how this is a platform that might be really beneficial. It just uh, at the moment isn't something that appears to be um, one that they've actually figured out yet or one that they're putting the pause button on while they try and figure out how they can continue having great live content like they did in an environment that's create a huge set of challenges um moving right into the next story actually is the fact that everyone is adapting as we all have learned to sort of rethink what our experiences are like for some of the events that used to be annual favorites that includes comic cons and the announcement that even though fans won't be able to flock to san diego comic con there is going to be an opportunity to experience it digitally, a virtual event. And it looks like I'm still always hesitant when somebody says free. And I'm like, yeah, but what about these other parts? Will it all be free? Well, there's a chance it really could be. Brad, what was your take on this adjustment to uh, the cancellation of San Diego Comic-Con and now this digital opportunity? I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, I, I hope though that the content that we're giving given is kind of cool and as it usually is, you know, like the big trailers and big reveals, things like that. I hope that the studios and, and the comic companies still want to go that route because a lot of things, you know, with the San Diego Con and Hall H, a lot of it is not released publicly, the trailers and things like that. So I hope that that they can be a little more liberal with that and let us see these big reveals, um, because between the movies and I am so excited to hear because another confession that I have is that I've been um, sorry to step away from the comic, the comic con for just a second, but I finally caught up on doomsday clock and i read the final issue and the things that that last issue hints at are making me crazy because i want to see them so bad um you know specifically and i know this is a long uh, a stretch but the marvel dc crossover that it hinted at and i just want I, it just made me hungry for more comic news so I hope that we will see a lot of big, good comic reveals come down through this virtual con. And I really, really like the idea that they're also having like a virtual exhibit, exhibitor floor kind of, which I think is a cool idea that really hasn't been tried before in a virtual con with exclusives. And the fact that they can spread that to the whole the whole world instead of the people that are just there, those exclusives, I think that's a really cool opportunity for exhibitors and you know and consumers alike so I'm, I'm really curious what that's going to be like so i think that if this goes well i think that 
this could be a template for how things are done and and we'll have the physical con you know but we'll we could also have these little virtual cons pop up too so yeah i hope that they can that they that they can pull it off and make it a success but i think that this is one that i'll definitely um uh, definitely be participating in and as far as you know seth you were saying will it really be free i'm gonna say yes so nice We'll see. I mean, maybe there could be maybe there could be some of those big panels that you have to pay a little bit of money for. So we'll see. But I at this point, I'm going to think that it's all free. Uh, Brad, I'm like a dandelion yeah. weed, buddy. All you need is like that little puff of air. And it's like I go yeah. spinning off for like yeah. 10 years. So <laughs> you're fine, man. That's all I need. I'm like, cool. It's free. Brad said good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, you're fine. Brad says it's cool. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> But uh, I think you might be onto something, brother. <laughs> yeah. So, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I um, I'm excited. I think this will be really fun. It does. It always just makes me sad seeing that cons aren't happening right now, and it's for a very, very good reason. But every time I'm like, ah, because just, I mean, just last year was I, I've gone to small cons for a while, um. But last year was really the first year that I got to go to a bunch of big cons, and so this whole before COVID started, it basically was just building up to like, oh, yes, it's almost yeah. con season again. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it's funny. I'm sorry to jump in again, but, um, you know, I went to this tiny, tiny little con put on by a college uh, in January or February. I think it was maybe in January. And I posted pictures and I said, oh, the first con of the year. And little did I know that that was oh, the, the oh, only kind of year. And thinking about that just breaks my heart. And I still haven't really, it still really hasn't sunk in that I'm going to have to wait over a year for New York Comic Con again. But uh, what can you do? <laughs> it's okay, Brad. When you're going to jump in with stuff like that, you know, it's perfect, <laughs> my friend. It's kind of what it's for. <laughs> but Kelly, we, we don't think you were done either, you know. No, I just, I mean, I'm... I'm excited about this. This does sound like a lot of fun. And I can completely vouch for the online prizes coming from, um, I mean, even with DC Universe, I bought into the reward system and actually got like a prize. I got a set of pins from DC Bombshells and I was like, wow, this, and I had no idea I was going to get it. So when I got it, I was like, okay, so I'm going to go log back into that app right now and see how many more pins I can get. Like, It is a very, very good marketing tool to have um you know giveaways and ways for fans to interact even if they can't be there in person um and as far as the panels go i mean it's it, it is nice to see panels online or on tv i know um i've watched some some of the tv san diego comic-con coverage in the past just live while it's happening and you still get a little bit of that feeling of excitement so even though we're not going to be there where you can kind of see it, people buzzing around and being excited about things it'll still be nice to get some of the content that we're missing um and yeah brad that does it it's like it's ripping my heart out i'm like wow that there was an excitement for con season and con season is no more at this point but i mean if anything this gives us a chance to as a community kind of think of better ways forward in terms of still putting content out there still keeping fans engaged and maybe this is a better, you know, I, I've never been able to get tickets to San Diego Comic-Con. So maybe this is a fun way for us to still have a little piece of that excitement, even though, you know, us East Coasters tend to have to go to, to New York instead. 
which is still a lot of fun. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Well, I can be honest and say that I have lived here a very long time and never been to San Diego Comic-Con for the one reason, which is I am not the best person in heavily crowded over inundated places. I'm I'm a I I like to be able to like stretch my arms out to my sides and, and not feel like they'll either hurt someone or, you know, I'll break fingers, bringing them back. Like there's something beautiful to me about (laughs) space. And so I've struggled for a long time. I recently went to a con up North and actually it was amazing. I had one of the best times I met John Wesley ship. Um, I got a chance to hang out with some, I met Liam Sharp there. I had some really great experiences and I was like, Hey, this is cool. I can, I might be able to, but San Diego is always like, it was like going to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, okay, going there's gotta be fun, but man, there's so many people. There's so much chaos. I, you know, I always had to question whether or not my, um, my frail little self could handle it. <laughs> Overall, I love that this is an opportunity for anybody who wants to, to to get in. I mean, panels to presentations, comics, gaming, TV. Um, anybody familiar with Masquerade? They mentioned that where you put it on, on a map. Go to like a, a fancy house. Maybe I, I thought it was like I know there's a Masquerade <laughs> ball where you wear the mask and stuff. Um, but I was intrigued. I was like, is this like a San Diego thing everybody knows about for Comic-Con or no? Yeah, meh, meh. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'm intrigued by a lot of the stuff that I'll get a chance to experience because uh, whether it was a job, whether it was a contract or, yeah, just like, oh, well, let me see what tickets are like. I'm not getting anywhere with my computer. This sucks. I'm slapping stuff now. I'm like, you know. I'm this close to getting a uh, piece of wood somewhere and just smacking the computer. Work, fix, do stuff, um, <laughs> which is just sad and totally uh, emblematic of a Luddite. I, uh, I I love the idea. I can hop in with this. And I love that they also have this thing where it's like, hey, oh, you're a fan and you've got a ticket. Guess what? You can print out your badge. You can still be proud that you were you know, attending. You're still attending. I'm looking forward to hearing some great stuff. And I know that when we've had some cons – Brad, you've been really emphatic about how can we get together and do a follow-up to this kind of event. But it's hard because people are actually out there experiencing it or just coming back and recovering. Maybe you might be on the track where we could really try and, you know, tie this into a podcast episode and make it a uh, a great experience for us as well as fans to check out San Diego Comic-Con and talk about it here on the podcast with everybody. Just, you know, doing a little freeform jazz, a little free associating in the mm-hmm. moment, seeing, seeing what, you know, crazy ideas yeah, are coming. I think, that's a, I think that's a good idea. Okay. All right. Well, I know you were really, you know, helpful in suggesting it last time around. Um, I wanted to see it get farther along this time around if we've got a stronger chance. Man, let's take advantage of what advantages we might have, right? <laughs> With that, uh, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and move into uh, another story that really sort of caught my attention, shifts us into the comics gear. But, you know, I've also realized that uh, we've been going for a little bit. We probably need to take an ad break, allow everybody to have that opportunity just to catch up on things that are going on here, DC Comics News. We'll come back to you with this uh, Batman Catwoman story, and we'll move into other final stories as well as a... uh, 
celebration of an amazing artist's life and career. Thanks for your patience. We'll be right back. And of course, enjoy the ads. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the Knight. Hello listeners, this is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Cougar. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up the bat, me nuts. I definitely do not f*** bat. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. And that wasn't so hard, was it? We're back. So simple, so easy. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. This is DC Comics News Weekly Podcast, episode number 74. I'm here with Brad Felicki, Kelly Gaines. We were just talking about the amazing San Diego Comic-Con becoming free. Now we've got an announcement that Batman Catwoman is actually outside the bounds of continuity. 
This is according to uh, James Tynan, who's saying it won't be affecting the core title, which he recently took over. Is this make it confusing for you? Does this change anything about what you're expecting with the upcoming Tom King, Clayman, uh, Batman, Catwoman? Or is it like, you know, full steam ahead, whatever, dude, it's comics, I'm on board and everything's great. Brad, I'm starting with you. Uh, you know, some of the best Batman stories ever told were told kind of outside continuity. So I'm not uh, I'm not bothered by this, especially with delays and once again, COVID and things like that. DC's continuity is kind of in a toss up right now with we're not really sure what's happening with the 5G and the you know Joker Wars just getting started. So uh, I, I'm fine with it. I think that we don't need another story in continuity to, to muddy the waters anymore. And this story sounds like it's going to be really cool either way. So I, I, yeah, I have no problem with it being outside of continuity. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I this story seems, I mean, one, Cat, Catwoman's pregnant with Batman's kid. That's going to be the most badass kid. I, <laughs> I Maybe not more badass than Damian Wayne, but also maybe more badass than Damian Wayne. Do not take this kid's lunch money. Do not take <laughs> He's going to no, take I think this kid will be exactly. Selena Kyle's kid. <laughs> it's, and no teacher should be wearing pearls to that grade school. But... Um, yeah, I yeah. this seems like a really interesting story. Um, and there is something about stories that happen outside of continuity that feel a little bit less intimidating. Um, I know even personally, when I was, you know, starting to regularly go to comic book stores and starting to pick up weekly titles, there was something about stories that were a little bit out of the big events that seemed so much more accessible because you don't you don't really have to worry so much about, well, I need this issue of this one, but also that issue of that one. And, you know, it's for first-time comic readers or newer comic readers, that tends to be a really positive thing, I think. Um, but then at the same time, I, I feel like in just in the quotes from that article, they didn't necessarily say that it's not part of continuity. So much as that right now, it's not, you know, they're focusing on the main Batman title. This is a side story. But it didn't sound to me like they were completely ruling out the story ever coming to... Uh, to mesh with the main Batman continuity. So I'm really interested to see how that pans out. Um, but yeah, and I, I've had such a complicated love-hate with Batman and Catwoman's relationship. There are moments where I think it's adorable. There are moments where I'm just like, uh, why? Um, so yeah, this this will be interesting. And I now that they're having a Bat-Cat baby, I think I'm even more for it. Seth, what do you think? I... Part of me just went, yeah, and like there was a part of me that was just like, I'm going to be fine. I was already hooked as soon as they told me about Batman, Catwoman, and they hit it at the idea of Selena being pregnant. Because for everyone who's enjoyed the version of comics in which they had a child that ended up being uh, a young woman who grew up to be Huntress, that that seed of possibility in without getting like weird creepy about anatomy here it's been planted with this uh storyline <laughs> you know like i realized i was like wait a minute seed planted oh god son really what do you want to say next That's like fertile ground show. right exactly <laughs> but but there's an opportunity now for this possibility to come alive with this series and yeah not only did they not say it kelly but <laughs> 
Okay, here's the kicker. Go ahead and start. This is one of those. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma, confounded by you know all that fun stuff. But Tom King wrote the storyline for Batman that was picked up by Tynan, and now the story of Batman Catwoman is supposed to continue the Tom King storyline, which was, you know, eighty odd pages or eighty some odd issues long, and now it's going to keep going. But somehow that keep going isn't part of continuity. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I I, I want to buy in, and the other part of me goes, you know, this is a genre where we deal with time travel, right? Does anybody else know that we've dealt with time travel, multiverses? Come on, are you seriously trying to tell me we can't make all of this fit into the whatever? But I also agree, Brad. You're right on. Some of my favorite Batman stories have been out of continuity, Elseworld stories. Um. I recently was digging up through some stuff just because of what we'll be talking about later. Do you remember the old Western one, the blue, the gray, and the bat? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> that wasn't continuity, right? <laughs> and Gotham then by even, Gaslight. Right, Gotham by Gaslight. I mean, um, the one where it takes place in Japan and we have some of the most uh, Batman ninja. I mean, go Don't ahead and tell me. That. Right, tell me those are in continuity. And... Who cares? It's a great story with characters I love, written by people I respect, who have crafted storylines I I treasure and cherish. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm, I'm looking for the problem, and I can't find one. So I just sort of chuckled at this, because it was like, you, you guys, I appreciate you wanted to clarify for those who may or may not be sharpening razor blades in response to this question. Not that I'm joking about that, but I'm just saying some people take things pretty seriously. And for some reason, sharpening knives is always a sign of like, you know, malicious intent. But overall, I felt like this was just one of those things of like, in case you were worried, don't be worried. <laughs> and that was where I left it at. So with this story, I just had to chuckle because I'm going to read it either way. I love the the team that's creating it. I love what James Tynan's work's doing. Neither of these uh, bits of information about these two storylines is going to stop me from reading either or, more importantly, enjoying either. It's just uh, – it's really cute. That's <laughs> that's my final thought on that, which brings us to our final news story today. And we're moving into the announcement that just because sometimes a breakup happens or there's a falling out doesn't mean that there isn't a possibility – things to work out although this sadly sounds like that thing a significant other says to you when you're breaking up and they're like well i don't know what could happen in the future and you're like just tell me it's always going to be over so i don't even have to hear this however dc and diamond who recently were like uh-uh never bah have now extended a working relationship temporarily in which diamond will offer services for some dc products for a limited time Given some of the potential acrimony, Brad, what was your take on this announcement and what it means for their relationship? Uh, you know, seeing how comic shops freaked out and consumers were freaking out about it a little bit, I'm, I, I kind of, you know, in hindsight, you kind of knew that this was going to have to happen, um, especially with these times. I think it's it's a big benefit to DC and Diamond both to figure something out so that comic shops don't go out of business and the books can get into the comic shops and into readers' hands. So um, 
you know, they, they say that it's going to be temporary, but I, I would not be surprised if they don't figure something out over the rest of the year to make it more of a permanent situation. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, it's I, I don't know. This this entire distributor debacle was kind of born of COVID and books being harder to get and trying to keep stores afloat. And right now, them breaking up that sort of working relationship seems like it would be ha- it would have a negative impact on everything that DC has been trying to do to keep stores going. Um, so yeah, it makes sense for them to have a temporary kind of hang on. We're still going to work this out like a, a weird, we'll stay together through the end of Christmas break kind of relationship thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> right. Like th- this feels very high school in a way, but, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see them decide that it's going to be a little bit longer than a, a short term breakup. I don't know. What do you think, Seth? This seemed like one of those things where they needed everybody to recover from the initial announcement before they could say, but it's not like we just dropped an axe the day of the announcement and that was it. All all ties severed. You know, if you were holding XYZ, burn it. And if we were holding money for any of that, forget it. Like there, there's contracts that have been put into place. And even if you cancel those, there's usually stipulations that exist about, well, if the party of X has already produced so much of, you know, Z and party of Y is already expecting or paid so much, then then the following transaction shall still continue forthwith to the following. You know what I mean? That's my best legal makeup stuff, but or at least makeup legal jargon. But you know <laughs> what I mean? You always sort of know that there's going to be that ipso facto, which just for some reason always winds up in there. And yeah, they're, they're going to keep things sort of in a staggered way through the 23rd. Um, and if you're a graphic novel fan, you can still order things um, for a while, actually, it looks like. According to this, it was like, retailers can order books DC offered through Diamond for Sale on final order cutoff June 1st or before through mid-December. Doesn't seem that immediate. You know what I mean? It seems well, like this was already something. Easy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like i mean the story i'm like june december ish <laughs> yeah it's over but through june and december you can still get the following things that we might be offering <laughs> like, okay um sounded like the the there was a part of it that was shouted and then it was followed by a whisper and uh <laughs> you just have to chuckle for a second like okay guys um thanks for filling us in also feels like this won't be the last time we hear about this. And also it makes sense that they want to have some sort of basic announcement for the comic shops who are like, hi, hi, currently potentially getting screwed over royally by all of this. Would love to have some sense of what's going on officially. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) So uh, this was important in a lot of those different ways. Um, I think there could be some continued developments because like we've been talking about this entire episode, like we've been talking for a few months now, it's become thematic that we know as much as we know. And we know that everything we know is subject to change and to, uh, well, unknown possibilities. So I, I take this for what it is in the moment. And I also know I could wake up from another crazy nap and have a purple sky and be like, 
okay, this could change some things in my life. I was expecting to go normally forever. So who knows? <laughs> For the most part, uh, this felt like uh, things are still progressing the way they plan to. Transitions will be happening, but certain things are still in place, which I hope it provides a little comfort security for those who might need that sort of thing. But uh, overall, uh, it seemed like, uh, like I said, the whisper following the shout. I'm going to leave it at that. Final thoughts before we shift into our last topic of today's uh, episode. I won't do the music. Swear. Do, 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 do. No, I I swore (laughs) I wouldn't do it. So, folks, uh, when it comes to this next topic, it's something I'm sure many of you probably tuned in with an expectation that we would all have something to say. And you're not without uh, the right to that expectation. I'm going to stop tiptoeing around the fact that we recently lost a legend with the passing of Denny O'Neill, who at 81 uh, left the comic book industry, is no longer someone who will be turning out amazing Batman stories and other DC Comics characters, and someone who, with his passing, has left behind uh, a legacy of amazing characters, amazing stories, uh, thrilled, delighted changed the lives, the directions, the futures of countless numbers who uh, I can only imagine if there was a microphone and each person could walk up and say what they felt, what they thought. We could spend weeks listening to the amazement and the wonder that Denny O'Neill brought to the lives of comic book fans of all ages from around the world. For the most part, we're going to take the rest of this episode to celebrate an amazing career. Uh, The gift of a man who was committed to bringing original stories to life and the best possible ways to do that. And uh, start off with one, I just wanted to give each person on here an opportunity to share their thoughts, their initial reflections, their feelings, what sticks out to them most as we recognize the passing of a legend and also celebrate the legacy that he has left behind for all of us to enjoy. Brad, I'm going to shift things over to you first. What was your initial response uh, to the news of Denny O'Neill's passing? You know, for me, you said the the word that comes to my mind the most when I think about Dennis O'Neill, and that is legacy. Uh, when I first started collecting comics um it was maybe a little bit before the the death of of um of robin you know the death in the family um so my kind of introduction to the character of batman was always the darker version that he helped uh, to, to bring about and I remember I was a little too young to really get into the 1966 Batman show. And I remember, you know, when I would go visit my grandma, I would be on the TV there and I would watch here and there and get a kick out of it. But I was like, that's not the Batman that I know. The Batman that I know that is is darker and more complex. And that is all because of Dennis O'Neill. And we have so much to... Uh, be thankful for for him and what he did to that character. I, there wouldn't have been a Dark Knight Returns. There wouldn't have been uh, 
1989 Batman or the Christopher Nolan Batman or the Batman that we we know today because he helped lay that foundation. And for me personally, um, and this is kind of why I didn't want to host because my my experience with him was always kind of secondhand from the foundation that he built rather than the stories because I was just a little bit a little bit too young. So to me, I always viewed him kind of, uh, I'll use a musical analogy here, um, the way, like he is Green River to, say, uh, Frank Miller or Tim Burton's uh, Nirvana, that he was the one that really got that, that those stories started. And his, his, his contribution can just not be overstated. I mean, it was, it was that important. Um, he shaped that character for multiple generations of Batman fans, and he just did such an incredible job. The characters that he created, uh, Ra's al Ghul, for instance, things like that. I mean, he's just, it, he is just absolutely legendary. And the complexity he brought, too, um, you know, uh, I, I, I come back to the, you know, the, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, where, uh, uh, you know, the, the Speedy was, a you know, a heroin addict, and that had never really been dealt with in comics in that way, and it was just kind of an important story, in, in the sense that that's, maybe that was one of the first instances of comics growing up, and his legacy can just not be, like I said, it just, it just can't be overstated. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, this was really sad, unexpected news. Um, you know, like you, Brad, I, I came into, not even just came into comic fandom, but came into existence just a little bit after, you know, his his really big moves with Batman. Um, and the, the fact that he was able to bring something serious and dark back to Batman after, you know, the 1960s show is very, very pivotal for the Batman that we know today. Um, And then on top of that, his work with other characters, um, specifically, I know one of the things that jumps out at me years and years ago when I was maybe in second grade, um, there was this documentary on History Channel called, um, I think it was Comic Book Superheroes Unmasked. And he's one of the commentators in the documentary. And just some of his stories about, you know, his not only the things that he thought he did well, but the things that looking back, he wished he'd changed. He's someone who is so willing to not only try to understand the character, but if he realized that he made a mistake somewhere, he was willing to just go with the gravity of the character and say, OK, so then where do we move forward? Um, and you see that even with the death of Jason Todd, that, you know, he hadn't set out to as and. You know, this is from what he said in that documentary, but he hadn't set out to make Jason Todd kind of a little shit, but he ended up being not necessarily the, you know, the bat, the Robin that everyone was used to. Um, you know, and obviously things didn't end well for Jason Todd after that, but it, it's really special to have a writer who's willing to just go with the gravity of what they're doing. Um, you know, and even the changes that he made to Wonder Woman in, in the 70s or, or the late 60s, you know, Later in life, he's willing to say, yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't have taken away her costume, but she's a great character. And he's he's a writer who listened. He's a writer who got feedback from the audience and got feedback from the people that these characters mattered to. 
um, and was willing to go with it. And that takes a really special kind of person. I think you have to really understand the industry and really understand the characters in order to do that. Um, and then on top of that, the one story that stands out for me, um, Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 76, he was one of the first people in DC Comics, as far as I know, who was really willing to tackle racism head on. Um, you know, he, in in that issue, call, had a character call out Hal Jordan for not doing anything to help Black people, for being willing to go through all of these different planets and all of these different timelines and never really actually making sure that he was there for every single color person on Earth. Um, you know, and it, it's this incredible set of panels. And I, I don't know that we saw that in DC before. So it, it takes a really special kind of writer um, to be willing to, especially if we're looking at, you know, the late 60s, the 70s, it, to take on these these big ideas like drug usage, racism, um, classism, and even Native American rights. I mean, he was willing to take on all of that. And that is a really, really special man. Um, yeah, it is, it is devastating to see him go. Thank you both. I really appreciate what you were sharing and the personal stories that you were able to add to this. I want to say something as well, but I'm reminded that, um, which it probably goes without saying, but I'm happy to restate it, that our biggest Batman fan on this show is someone who can't be with us this episode, and that's Mr. Steve J. Ray. And Steve, uh, knowing how much this story moved him, wrote up a really great article for Dark Knight News describing his experience. And I wanted to read a little bit from that, just so that uh, those who know how much he cares about Batman and the many creators who have brought the legend to life, what his response was, how he was feeling, hopefully uh, something close to what he would be saying if he was on the episode today. In the article, Steve points out that when he's invited on podcasts or interviews, he loves talking and going on the record about why he loves Batman. And he points to Detective Comics number 457, There's No Hope in Crime Alley, which was written by Denny O'Neill. And Steve's quick to say that he doesn't think this issue is regarded as one of the finest. It certainly wasn't his first and thankfully wasn't the last. But for a young boy in the 70s in London, someone that Steve describes as being, uh, well, awkward, solitary, living in a ground floor apartment in the suburbs, spent a lot of time on his own because parents worked jobs, and who found love and joy in Doctor Who, Star Trek, Thunderbirds, also was thrilled by the adventures of Batman starring Adam West and Burt Ward. And Detective Comics changed everything for Steve, as he describes this issue number 457. In a 20-page story, Dennis O'Neill scared him, thrilled him, entertained, and educated. In Steve's own words, he says, his words and the dark, spooky art, certainly in comparison to the whimsical Batman I'd known beforehand, made me a comics and Batman fan forever. Without Denny or Tech 457, I may not have kept reading comics at all. I wouldn't have wanted to collect them or review them, talk about them in podcasts, or share my love for them with anyone who'd listen. I wouldn't be contributing to this website, attending conventions, meeting my heroes, or writing this article. I wouldn't be the person I am today. This story showed me why Batman dressed the way he did and why he fought crime, 
for a child who did have parents but spent a lot of time alone, seeing Bruce Wayne's story really hit home. Here was a boy who had no parents at all because they'd been taken from him right in front of his eyes. The comic came out in 76, but he didn't get a chance to see it until he was uh, until 78 when Steve was eight, roughly the same age as Bruce when all sense left his life. And then he goes on to thank Denny uh, for everything that he's offered, ending by saying not only was Dennis O'Neill an incredible writer and storyteller, his legacy, the works he created and the impact he's had on the medium cannot be overstated. His contributions to Charlton, DC Comics and their marvelous competition is truly iconic. Um, those words from Mr. Steve J. Ray, you can read that in his article on Dark Knight News and just a chance from uh, those of us here to do our best to reflect his words, thoughts and feelings, even though he can't be with us here today. As for myself, um, I I came across Denny O'Neill, Dennis O'Neill. Uh, I came across him when I started reading comics. I was introduced to them in junior high by a good friend. He gave me a very early introduction, and later I branched out through another friend who had read some comics. And I remember being a kid, getting a copy of Death in the Family, the graphic novel, The Trade, and reading it with my friend, us taking on different characters' voices, and being really moved by this story, and and following the journey of Jason and the tragic ending, and then wondering who it was, and always amazed each time I heard Dennis O'Neill's name brought up regarding a character or a story. And then recently with DC Universe, I've been so lucky to go through like the Batman section that they have. It's like this really great little three-parter. And it talks about how he came in and with a couple of stories changed everything we knew about Batman. How he had seen that the cancellation of the show was about to affect or the ending of the show is drastically going to affect readership and how he could come in and with a couple of stories redefine who Batman was, give him that gothic quality. And then also take someone like the Joker, who'd been sort of just a nuisance and uh, a laughable clown and show us just why it is that clowns in any bedroom, in any setting are generally scary, horrifying, terrifying, and also just how evil the Joker potentially could be. And then with original characters like Ra's al Ghul or Raish, or I'm never going to get into an argument on how to pronounce it. I've set my career with you guys on this podcast mispronouncing names. So that's, that's my identity. I'm going to hold fast to it. But this was a guy who added so much. And when I was watching one of those series, I actually put a couple on yesterday just so I could watch it again. I love that he said, as far as I know, I believed that with the creation of Ra's al Ghul, I had created a truly original character and an original story to go with it. And the pride he had in saying that, like, look what I've accomplished. It, it reminded me of just that sense of epitome that so many of us can have when it comes to the craft that we love, that feeling that we know. If there's something we could attain, that would give us that authenticity about who we see ourselves as artists, as creators, as fans, as people trying to contribute to the thing we all love experiencing and want to in some way be a part of giving that experience to others. That's my first initial rant. 
I wanted to also just sort of turn around to the fact that you guys brought up so many different elements of his career that made Dennis so amazing, whether uh, it was the ability to confront issues like racism in, in stories and through characters like Green Lantern, but then also to have an amazing impact on other legendary characters uh, throughout his career. I was amazed when I was going through how many characters he's worked on, everybody from the question to uh, the Batman movie official adaptations, uh, as you pointed out, Kelly, with Wonder Woman. And acknowledging maybe he did some stuff he probably wouldn't have done in hindsight. And like, hey, I was trying to do something original. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I was just curious, you know, uh, if there were any characters while you were sort of maybe either going through his biography or his history or just sort of catching up on who Dennis O'Neill was now that he's passed. If you were surprised at any characters that he'd worked on, uh, if you'd come across any that you thought, wow, you know, I I never put the two together. And yet now that I do, I can see all these things. Or overall, uh, if anything, anyone else has been saying so far, I encourage you to want to add on something else about Mr. O'Neill, uh, his work, characters. Brad, I'm going to offer that first opportunity up to you, my friend. Uh, I think... Um the creeper was one that kind of i wasn't aware of and the question although uh the question looking back on it made made sense you know because uh he he was also a charlton comics guy but um yeah i mean he yeah you just you know like i said and like steve said he is you just can't overstate the importance and kelly i'm glad you brought up that um the racism issue with Green Lantern. Uh, I've actually seen that um, in light of everything that's going on now come up as a meme. A lot of people have been sharing that, uh, that, uh, you know, the panels from that issue. And that's so incredible uh, these days with everything that's going on. And for Kelly, how about you? Any uh, follow-up thoughts to what anyone else has been uh, adding in? If there was any characters you came across where you were like, Really? Dennis O'Neill wrote him? Her? That? Or uh, any other things that anyone might have kind of brought up where you're like, oh, hey, you know, now that you brought that up, there's something I want to add to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, and actually going off, um, you know, Brad, what you just mentioned with how relevant the that, that Green Lantern, Green Arrow issue is, um, you know, I, I feel like, and you guys probably have too, we constantly bump into this idea that comics are recently political um you know that that it hasn't always been i i don't know if you want to call it a a kind of liberal stance or or whatever and if anything dennis o'neill's career shows you that from the the very the most formative moments of comics if we're looking back at at you know the silver age or the bronze age if we're looking at the 70s when Batman was being rewritten and when he brought some life and, and some personality back to Green Lantern, politics, social issues have always been a big part about what makes superheroes important. That has always been a, a core facet to making a hero heroic. Um, you know, and it, it is really, it, it gives me hope to be able to pull up a, a panel or a page from something from 40, 50 years ago and say, no, look, this is, 
it, this is a fight that people were willing to fight back then, and it's a fight that we should be willing to fight now. Um, and as, as far as characters that I didn't realize he'd had a hand in, one of them would actually be the question. And I'm a huge Dennis Cowan fan, so it should have, it, it just never really registered to me. So looking back and seeing that, you know, he was involved in the question. And also there is this book that I found on DC Universe forever ago um, called The Witching Hour. And it's just, it's a silly, like, witchy, monstery kind of sci-fi nonsense story. It's It's very silly. But I enjoyed reading it so much, and it's saved as one of my favorites on there. Because sometimes I'll just go back and read it just for the fun. You know, if I'm I'm having a really stressful day, it gets me in a different headspace. And that was also Dennis O'Neill. Um, so I think, you know, for a long time now, I'm going to be looking back at comics that maybe I haven't picked up in a while or stories that I haven't thought about in a while and see his hand in them. And I, I think that does really show what just... Uh, amazing and well-rounded writer and person he was so yeah it's absolutely devastating that he's not with us anymore Seth I was moved also when I saw the question I I was like how clueless how blind have I been that I didn't know he wrote all of these great question books um and then just following his career there were so many things that that caught my attention uh, his responsibility to Greenland and to bring in a character who calls into question whether or not, you know, Hal Jordan has actually been looking out for the well-being of everybody on planet Earth. That this guy was actually involved in the creation of Azrael, which I was like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I remember that guy. <laughs> he kind of played a big role. Um, and just this discovery of of going through the things that he did. Also, the fact that, you know, he did the novelizations of Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, which I was intrigued by. And that um, so I knew that there was the Richard Dragon series, but I didn't know that Dennis O'Neill created a pseudonym, Jim Dennis. And with uh, another writer created a series of novels about a kung fu character named Richard Dragon, which then became the DC character, Richard Dragon, which I was like, what? <laughs> Hold on. So you're writing all this other stuff. And uh, and instead, you you also have this whole other side, you know, pen name career where you're creating novels. And and then in between that, he also did, uh, you know, a, a great stint as a teacher. This this seemed like a guy who really was passionate about what it was he believed. And I, I feel like this is something you recognize with these trailblazers where they see what comics are capable of. They see what these characters are capable of. And when they see that others aren't living up to that potential, they come in and say, let me show you what's really possible here. And then afterwards, it's it's kind of like, you know, the first time you have like melted cheese on bread and you're like, why haven't we been doing this all along? What, what, who, can we do this on every sandwich? Is this possible? Do you know what I mean? Like there's that sensation of like, it's simple. It's brilliant. It's perfect. How did we miss it? And that was that wonderful discovery that I had with so many of the things that, that he brought in. Uh, I recently went into Detective Comics number 1000 and just had a chance to glance through all the people collected in there and see a Dennis O'Neill story that I remember on first reading, I didn't love. And I actually, on the second reading, I didn't love a lot either. But I also realized that he was like, look, man, 
I did this. I, I, I wrote them over and over again. In fact, I loved in that series, that little docu-series on DC Universe, where he talks about, for a time, he wrote a Joker solo title. And it sucked. He knows because he wrote most of them and they were terrible. <laughs> but he's also like, I had a job to do. My job was to be a writer. And sometimes you can excel. Sometimes you can't. But you come in every day, you sit down, and you create. And that's that's a legacy. It it's a it's a feeling that I I can only imagine others have, and I hope that it becomes one of those things that's infectious, where people hearing that go, you know, that's a life I can see. Getting up every day, writing something, creating something, looking for the next original story, pushing beyond what I've already done, becoming more, and I only hope that looking back, he sees and was able to see all of the things that he brought, the the sort of standard he created that others have continued to either live up to or strive to surpass. There's a, there's a recognition that goes with a lifetime spent trying to make something better. And I think it's evident in all of his work. I also know that overall, there, there comes a point where you can only praise uh, sing uh, and announce the wonders of a life that's passed before eventually it's like okay you know uh, there's a time to move on a time to continue grieving a, a time to let the celebration come to a close and with that in mind I just wanted to give an opportunity for any final thoughts whether it be uh, about Dennis O'Neill anyone he's impacted uh, or any of his characters, or just anything that's left where it's like, yeah, if if I have one final thought, one final say about who we're talking about and what we've been talking about, I'll leave it at this. Or it can always just be, I, I've said all I've said, and I'm going to leave it at that. Brad, last opportunity you might have. I would just say that I will always remember his work and his impact and be always thankful that he he did what he did with the characters i don't uh you know steve, you know that touching tribute that you read from steve um i you know i, I think in a way I, I would similarly agree that i wouldn't be the comics fan that i am today without some of his stories or what came from those stories that he he created Hey, my friend. And Kelly, final thoughts for you. Any last things you'd like to leave on regarding uh, Dennis or anything else? Yeah, I guess my my closing thought would just be, uh, I mean, this is a man that saw the potential of comics and understood what comics could do creatively, socially. Um, you know, he saw the potential and he knew how to embrace it he knew how to let go of the things that maybe weren't working and he knew how to knock it out of the park when it was um he's he's going to be sincerely sincerely missed and with that i i have to be honest um there's not a whole lot more i can add to what brad kelly and steve through his article have been able to share except the fact that if I'm able to end the final stages of my life still working at the things I love at, 
creating the things I care about and sharing stories with people that I can only hope inspires them, then I think I'm going to consider my life one that's well spent. I can only imagine how many more uh, amplifications of that Dennis O'Meal must have felt as he looked back over his work. And if he didn't, if for any possibility, Dennis, you're able to hear these words, we are just a few of the voices that are thankful and able to recognize and share just how many great experiences you brought to our lives and how much more better we are because of you. And with that, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and bring this episode number 74 to a close. This has been the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. This has been episode number 74. I have been your host, Seth Singleton, and I have been thankful to share all of our topics uh, with an amazing group, uh, a cadre of cohorts, uh, those who make it a joy to come to this podcast each and every week. Uh, Brad, for anybody out there who'd love to follow up a conversation about Dennis O'Neill or anything else we've talked about today, Where's the best ways for them to find you in social media and the wider world? Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews, dccomicsnews.com. Uh, you can also find me on the Mad Love Harley Quinn podcast in the DC Comics News Network. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. Awesome. And Kelly, if anyone's looking to follow up a conversation with you, touch on any of the things we've talked about today or just uh, reach out to you with their thoughts. Where can they find you? Um, you can find me doing opinion and editorial pieces on dccomicsnews.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at Kel Gaines Wright. Wonderful. I've been your host at Singleton. You can find me uh, DC Comics News, writing reviews, Uh, just writing whatever they let me print or whatever I can suitably create for them to print. You can also find me here with this great group getting a little more body with the Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast, and also here weekly on the uh, DC Comics News weekly podcast. You can actually catch every episode of the DC Comics News podcast by making sure that whatever platform you're on, you have subscribed to us. You can find us in all the big ones, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or more. And if you're on a smaller one you think deserves a shout out, don't hesitate to let us know. All you need to do is make sure that you do subscribe, please rate, and you'll have an opportunity to catch every new episode of the DC Comics weekly podcast, Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. I Am the Night, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the Batman the Animated Series by our very own Mr. Steve J. Ray. The Spinner Rack, my top five picks from DC Comics each and every week, hosted by yours truly. And out there in the social media world, if there's something you want us to know about, you can let us know on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, YouTube, and so many other platforms. All you have to do is use the at symbol and DC Comics News. It's capital D, capital C, capital C-O-M-I-C-S capital N-E-W-S. Let us know what you're thinking, what you thought, something maybe you think we need to hear. And of course, we'd love to know how we can make things just a little bit better. With that, 
we're bringing this episode to a close and there's only one final thing we like to say and that is to always read more comics thanks for joining us everyone catch you next time